Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, Who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 356 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Teresa Cole. Teresa lives in Atlanta, Georgia, where she is the founder and executive director at the Willow School. And today, that we are recording. This is her three-year fast anniversary. So, congratulations, Teresa, on your three-year fast anniversary, and welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And we also just figured out that the day that this comes out is the day after your birthday. So it's just celebrate Teresa Day, no matter what day it is. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I like to start by asking, what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? Well, I guess like everybody, you know, I have a long story, long history. You know, I 
have heard you refer to sort of being in the deep, dark forest in terms of, you know, your journey with weight loss or, or whatever it is. And I was kind of born in the forest. So I was always just little pudgy, never slim. And, you know, some of my very earliest memories are of just you know, comments about my size or comments about, you know, my body or what I should wear. You know, I have an early memory. I don't know if you remember those really cute, big crinlin dresses that, you know, you could twirl around in. Oh, yeah. You know, went out really far. Well, loved those dresses and my mother would never buy them for me. And so my grandmother bought me one and she was, I thought I was like the cutest thing ever. I was probably three or four at the time. And I remember her and my mother arguing about that, that she had bought that for me. And so it just really was sort of a lifelong journey of not really understanding and not really accepting, you know, my body. And of course, I am a little bit older than you. I know that you're 53. Is that correct? 54. I I had the 54th birthday. Yeah. I'm 56. And so, you know, coming up, you know, Twiggy was sort of the icon of um, beauty and fashion and whatnot. And I never fit in that mold. You know, I always was, my mother would restrict food. My grandmother would feed me up every time I was there. And I was, you know, I stayed with my grandmother quite often. And so it was all very confusing and I can't fault my mother too much because maybe if she hadn't have kept that level of control, maybe I would have been an obese child or, you know, I certainly love to eat. So, you know, I try not to blame her for that kind of thing, but it was very confusing. I think that we just, we look back when, as adults, you know, through, as we were, as we were brought up and, and we, we see all the mistakes our mothers made, but like you said, we try not to fault them because they were doing their best, right? They tr- they were trying, doing the best they had with what they had. I wanted to ask you this, that crinoline dress that your grandmother bought you, why didn't your mother want you to have it? Was, was it because of your weight? Yeah, uh, well, because, you know, it kind of poofed out really far. So I think the she thought that it just made me look bigger than, you know, than I already was. And I wasn't like, you know, super, you know, I guess, fat, for lack of a better word, but, you know, I was pudgy and, you know, very full. So she just always wanted me to be in things that were slimming. And that carried over into like middle school when we would go shopping. Oh, my gosh, that was such a, a torture, I think, probably for her as well. But trying on clothes that uh, were appropriate for my body. <laughs> and see, that's what's so sad. I want to go back in time and hug the little the little Teresa because you felt so pretty in that dress. You know, you were like twirling and twirling. And so you had no idea that your mom's like, no, we're going to buy something else. Anyway, no, I, just I, to say that. I don't think that I ever saw that dress again after that. <laughs> of course, that's my child memory. You know, I don't what actually happened. But it was certainly sort of set the tone for, you know, really my whole image of myself. So you were in middle school and, and by the time you were in middle school, you were still feeling those challenges of, of not feeling good in your body. By that point, did you realize did you feel different than the other kids? Yeah, absolutely. I always, you know, my friends were generally slim. 
And I was always curvy, like even in middle school, you know, I had the curves, I finding clothes that would fit me in the, I guess, uh, what do they call it? Youth section, young women's section, or a teenager section was impossible. And so nothing fit me at all ever. And so I think the clothes that my mother bought that she thought looked good on me, I thought were atrocious. And so I always felt kind of self-conscious. You know, I made it through high school at a pretty, not really overweight or, or obese, certainly not obese. I was, you know, I'm five, three, three and a half. And um, I was always around in high school, at least around 130, between 130 and 140, I would say. You know, that's not big that, but it, I can see how you, you might've felt a, a little, you know, you were a little curvier maybe than the girls. Did you graduate from high school? I'm trying to figure out, were you class of 85? 84. Okay. 84. I was class of 86. So I was doing the math there, but okay. So yeah, I could see that. And that time it was hard. Like I was, once I went through puberty, I was pear shaped and you're right. Everything was really slim. Well, except for the pleated things, but still, you know what I mean? Remember all those pleated pants and shorts that we wore? You know, I certainly dieted in high school, just like, you know, even my friends who were super slim, you know, we all were watching our, our weight because I guess, you know, that's what you do when you're in high school. But, and so I managed to be, you know, relatively normal size, but again, you know, never fit in the Jordache, never fit in the Calvin Klein's, you know. <laughs> Those brands had a very specific straight up, straight down. They didn't fit me either. <laughs> as soon as I went through puberty. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I totally get that. Shopping at the Gap wasn't always easy. Benetton, did you shop in all those places? Right, right. The Gap and gosh, I can't even remember the names of the stores now. It's been so long. But yeah, I always wanted the Jordache jeans and they just did not ever fit me, ever. And so I was active in high school. You know, I was on the color guard and the drill team. and. Um, you know, so marching band, you know, uh, that's a lot of exercise pretty much year round. And, you know, I had friends, you know, I, I can't say that my weight really held me back, but it was always something that I was self-conscious about. And um, during my senior year, I um, had the idea, you know, we were going on the senior trip to the beach and after graduation. And so I think that was the first like really restrictive diet that I remember clearly because I was determined I was going to wear that bikini. I was going to look great. And I did. I didn't eat anything for I don't even know. How long. And I got down to about 118. I was on a work study program in high school. So I left certain days. I left school in the middle of the day and I would stop at this little store on the way home and I would get a Snickers bar, a big bag of Doritos, and a Coke. And that's what I would eat for the entire day. I mean, that was it, you know. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I bet you were just miserable. Although you were kind of intermittent fasting, right? <laughs> so just don't eat. And um, But I wasn't yeah, doing we don't it. recommend that format, by the way. That form of intermittent fasting, the Snickers, Coke, and Doritos intermittent fasting plan, not, not recommended. <laughs> diet. I did get down. I went to the beach. I have a photo to prove it. <laughs> I was in the bikini. And then, of course, I was able to maintain that weight for about 
two weeks. And then the kind of the roller coaster started from there. So as soon as you ate real food again, your body was like, all right, <laughs> thank you for feeding me. All right. So the roller coaster began. So after I graduated, not that summer, but the next summer, I married my high school sweetheart. And after about a year or so, we had, I was pregnant with my first daughter. And at the end of that pregnancy, I weighed around 165 is what I remembered. And so, you know, at that point, I was like, oh, my Lord, I'm like, huge, right? I'm a and butt. was that while you were pregnant? You were pregnant in 165? Yeah. But that's funny though, because I was 163 and felt huge when I delivered my first child. So. so I had the baby and then, you know, I felt really terrible about myself and my size and everything. And subsequently that marriage being, we were both young and dumb and, you know, so the marriage didn't last very long. But so as a single mom, you know, it was pretty stressful and the weight just started packing on at that point. So I never did lose the, the baby weight or the pregnancy weight and just started gradually getting higher and higher. And what year? You had a daughter at that time. Was it a daughter? Yes. So I was 20 and a single mom at 20. So that's kind of crazy. <laughs> but, you know, I had the support of my family, luckily. So, you know, we were okay. But It was a time where I was working really hard, trying to make ends meet, went back to school to get some education and was just eating to comfort. You know, I'm a huge, used to be a huge emotional eater when you're happy, when you're sad, eat when you're depressed, you know, (laughs) eat for fun, eat when you're bored. So, and then the thing that I struggle most with still to this day is stress, stress eating. So during this last three years that I've been doing intermittent fasting, I have dealt with a lot of emotional eating, but the stress still is a challenge. Sometimes I can beat it and then sometimes I don't, but I have come to terms with not beating myself up about it. If, if I succumb to the package of cookies or whatever it happens to be. Now, I have a question for you. Thinking back to how you were growing up and your mother kind of was you know like negative about eating and, and gave you that feeling of don't eat that, don't eat that. And then you went to your grandmother's house and you could eat what you wanted. Did that kind of, you think, set you up for a, maybe a eating in secret kind of a mentality, like keeping it a secret? Is that part of your emotional eating flavor? We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories 
promo code IFSTORIES10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash IFSTORIES, promo code IFSTORIES10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. Yeah, and I actually meant to mention that as well, because that was a big part of my story. You know, when I was a kid, I would definitely sneak things into my room. I would like open the packages where I could close them again so you couldn't really tell. Just take enough ice cream that it, <laughs> that it you know, you couldn't tell if I'd gotten any or not. So definitely that came into play. I had a feeling because that's a very common story when we're young and we feel like we have to sneak and hide because of the disapproval. And then it sets us up for repeating that pattern and it can become the emotional eating and also the hiding it. And so I think a lot of listeners probably understand the idea of the shame and the hiding it from people and and how that sets us up to struggle later. Yeah, exactly. And so you know, my grandmother was a big part of my childhood. She didn't work when I was a child and she had a huge garden. She was cooking all the time, all the good Southern, you know, foods that we love and was uh, baking. So every time you walked into her house, you know, you were offered something. But the ironic thing is, is I think that my mom got her ideals because, you know, she was also supposed to be slim and you know, a nice Southern, you know, woman and, you know, keep that figure and all of those things and all that people pleasing ideals that come along with all of that. So it was, you know, ironic and also kind of self perpetuating. Yep. I get that. And were you in Georgia? Did you grow up in Georgia? Yeah. When I was growing up, I grew up in Gainesville, which is about an hour north of Atlanta. But you're right. In the South, you know, I, I don't, I'm not saying that there aren't those pressures in other parts of the country, but in the South, it was very much how you looked, how you presented yourself. I totally, I get it, right? <laughs> I've spent 56 years trying to stop the people pleasing. So that's a really hard habit to break. And then especially in terms of body image and all of that. And I was determined that I wouldn't do that to my daughter. And, you know, after when I married my second husband, we have four children, another daughter, and then three boys. And so I'm happy to say that my daughters have a very strong will and strong sense of who they are, you know, good body image. Of course, you know, we all come with a little bit of baggage here and there. But overall, I say their attitude towards their body and their self-image is much better than mine 
was at their age. So I'm so glad we learned from what hurt us, right? That the things that hurt you, you're like, I am not doing that. You're going to be the opposite of that. So I love that. So we left off, you were going back, you went back to school after your first daughter was born, you were a single mother. So you mentioned at some point you got remarried. How did that story go? Well, I was a single mom for about 11 years, almost. Well, I met my husband when my daughter was about eight, almost nine, but I worked and I went to school. I got a degree and I became like a paralegal. And I had just sworn off dating for a while up until I met my husband at a birthday party that we had for my best friend. She happened to be a a singer and was in this little theater group. And my husband was in it as well. And so he came to the birthday party and that's where we met. So, and that was 25 years ago now. Yeah. So when my daughter was around 11, 1998, we married and I moved to Atlanta because he's the city boy. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cause you're right in the city. You're in the city of Atlanta. Yes. So my weight at that point was around 230 when we married. So I had just gradually gone up and up and up the scale. That was really hard, you know, just dating and feeling that burden of that weight and, you know, the shame, you know, feeling ashamed of yourself. And I have to, you know, give credit to my husband, Adam. He's just accepted me and always just accepted me unconditionally. And so... I think that gave me, I guess, courage to open myself up to that relationship at that time. Well, you shared your your photo in the community today. You shared a photo of your wedding day, and then you also had a vow renewal. And that is the sweetest photo of you and Adam on your wedding day. You can tell he just is hugging you and loves you. And, you know, he didn't see 230 pounds. He saw Teresa. And I can say that's the first time, I don't know if he's the first person that ever saw Teresa, but he's certainly the first person that made me feel like they were seeing Teresa. You know what I mean? That's really sweet. And, you know, a testament to the right guy coming along, <laughs> Wait, waiting for the right guy. I mean, it's probably not the guy that you expect to meet, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. So y'all got married in 98. But you were still struggling with your weight, even though Adam wasn't worried about it. You you felt like uh, it just didn't feel good to be in that size body. It was always issue. And I did every diet under the sun, you know, between my 20s and up till, I guess, maybe around 50 or so when I just decided not doing that anymore. But so many of the diets that you mentioned, I'm like, yep, yep, <laughs> did that, did that. But we had four children, so I have five children all together. And with the pregnancies, oddly enough, I didn't really gain a lot of weight. I always sort of ended up on the better side because I would take better care of myself while I was pregnant. And then I would still, you know, gain the weight back after the baby came. But along the way, you know, I did, uh, there was some diet, like it was like hot dogs and grapefruit. Do you remember anything like that? Was it like every day you ate something different? 
Yeah, I think okay, so. Okay, yep. I remember I did that one probably around 98. Does that seem about because I can remember that was when Cal was a baby. I could remember where I lived when I did it, right? We lived in this apartment very, very briefly before we moved to Atlanta in 98. We were in Stockbridge at that time, but we were, I remember we were in that apartment. Chad was writing his dissertation. Cal was a baby and I did that diet. And one day it was like all hot dogs or something. And one day that was crazy. Yeah. The weirdest combination of foods, which were supposed to, I don't know how it's supposed to work. And listen, here's my question, Teresa. That was before we had the internet, right? So how did we even find out about that crazy diet back then? I have no idea. I really have no idea. <laughs> it was probably like typed up and someone handed it to you. I don't, I don't know, but I can remember following that crazy diet. Maybe it was in a magazine or something. I remember having a little piece of paper with all of the, day, the days and the things you were supposed to eat on it, but I don't know where the paper came from, but... Ditto. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Along the way, you know, I did Weight Watchers and Nutrisystem. I did Herbalife, Slim Fast, Juicing, Weight Watchers. Did I already say that? But ultimately, I guess the last thing I did before I sort of, you know, gave up on, on dieting was Whole30, which actually, you know, it's really a weight loss plan, but it was an attempt to eat better food. So that was kind of my first attempt at a sort of a sensible getting away from processed, you know, foods and fat, I guess, bad foods. Right. Because that, that's the point of Whole30. The point of Whole30 is it's an it's written as an elimination protocol, not a weight loss diet. But with the idea that when you find the foods that work better for you, real foods, then you eliminate the ones that are inflammatory for you or don't work for you. And then your body responds to that because you just, you're, you're healing yourself through real food, really. Then when um, I opened the Willow School, you know, that was very stressful. You know, I had Changed careers. Uh, when my children were in preschool, I fell in love with that the school that we were going to, and I was volunteering quite a, a bit. And I ended up opening a school, a very small little center with a couple of partners. And then I decided to venture out and and open the Willow School, and that was you know very stressful and also a huge like I was very unsure of myself. I was very as a I guess entrepreneur as a woman business owner. Oh my gosh, how who am I to be opening a business? Right. Well, you know, and not only that, you know, I consider myself to be an entrepreneur, but I don't. I can't imagine trying to open something like like a preschool because the number of regulations. <laughs> that you have to abide by like every that's the part like I have a friend who's an attorney and even at her attorney office at the law office like the way the bathroom has to be and you don't even think about those things there's a lot of hoops to jump through and places you can mess up and paying people and taxes and oh my lord it makes me nervous just thinking about it on your behalf so we opened in 2015 and it went along pretty well you know we were pretty small to start and then gradually not really gradually we grew but it was at a pace that I could keep up with. Well, crazy me decided we needed to move and we needed to renovate this huge building. And we doubled in size and doubled the staff. And that was probably the most stressful thing that I have ever done in my life. And so you can imagine how I dealt with that stress by shoveling everything I possibly could into my mouth. And eating fast food and just terrible, terrible 
diet. And so in 2000, that happened in 2019. So at my highest weight, this was like, I don't know, almost embarrassing to say, but I sort of had given up like any attempt at all to regulate myself or even attempt to, you know, eat well. And then of course the pandemic happened in March, 2020. So then you're facing like, Oh, I can't even imagine that with a school. You had just put the money into it. Exactly. So by the time May of 2020 came around, I was just like, none of my clothes fit. You know, I was wearing the super stretchy because I wasn't going to buy the next size. Heard that a lot on the podcast too. It's like that recognition is like, okay, you're off the rails completely. Do you remember what size you were wearing at that time? Yeah, I was in the 2022 and then the 2X, 3X uh, top. But I bought a scale and on May, I wrote it down, May 31st, 2020, I got on it and I weighed 302 pounds. Oh my goodness. And I bet that three was a shock. You were not expecting to see that three. It blew my hair back. I was just like, oh my God, you know, this can't happen. And so I had been trying a little bit because uh, over the, the, at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, we were all at home, we were all cooking and I was like, oh, you know, I'm not eating fast food. I'm, you know, cooking. But even so I was baking also, you know, and eating all of the things and uh, still very stressed and but I was trying to eliminate like Coke and Dr. Pepper was like one of my strong, I guess, addictions for lack of a better word. So I was trying to eliminate that and trying to eliminate fast food and trying to eat more healthy options. And so the way that I came to intermittent fasting was we were doing carpool uh, because of uh, the pandemic at school. And so I was out there, you know, checking everybody's temp and walking back and forth. And one of the moms said, well, you're getting your steps in. And I was like, yeah, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to, you know, do better and da, 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 da. And having that conversation, you know, that we have about our weight. And uh, she said, well, you know, me and my husband have been intermittent fasting. And I think that I had heard that term before, but I wasn't in the market for a new diet. So I just kind of didn't even register in my brain. But, and she said, yeah, you should look up Jen Stevens. She's got a podcast and she's got a book and it's G-I-N. And so that stuck in my head. That's all I could remember, G-I-N. So I, I hit uh, Amazon and I put in G-I-N. And of course, you know what came up. There I was. <laughs> Delay, don't deny. And so I bought that. And this is August uh, by that time, August of 2020. So I read the Delay, Don't Deny, I don't know, in just a couple of days. And I was like, and it really felt like something that I could do. Like, I really felt so strongly, like, this makes sense. This is something that I could live with. You know, this is something that I could do. And um, so I knew, you know, I was a person, you know, that got up and immediately went to the kitchen and ate something. And, you know, right before bed, had a big bowl of ice cream. So I knew that I couldn't just jump in, you know, and so I gradually over the course of like a month or so kind of lengthened the time that I would eat in the morning. So when I made it to 11 o'clock without eating, I thought like, it's, you know, impossible. Wow. Like it's such an accomplishment, you know, 
<laughs> literally, like, you know, I would get up and be searching for that sugar hit, you know, in the morning. And you were a soda drinker. So you were used to having the sodas. You Like, was coffee not your thing? It was the sodas? I drank coffee too, but uh, soda was the thing, I guess, that it was, you know, my poison of choice at the time, you know. So, yeah, it was the thing that uh, I would go to, especially, you know, in stress, you know. And anytime you ate anything for lunch, you had to have a soda and, you know, all of those things. But I enjoy coffee, but, you know, it wasn't, I could take it or leave it, you know. So you, you pushed that window back to 11 a.m. And how, at that point, how long were, was your window going? Do you remember? So I started pretty much with the 16-8. And then gradually over time, got to 20 and four. And I did that for uh, quite some time and lost about 54 pounds um, in about seven months. And so I think that weight was the weight that came on really fast over the course of 2019 and 2020 during all the, the stress binging. But so I lost that relatively quickly. And then from there, I kind of went on and off intermittent fasting for a while. And at some point, so I had gotten down to like 248. And then I kind of, I don't know exactly what happened or why, but I got off schedule and I got out of my routine and I was fasting sometimes and sometimes not. And then started putting that cream in my coffee and <laughs> all of those things. That's funny that you mentioned that because yesterday, Sherry and I recorded an, an episode of, of the new podcast, Fast Feast Repeat, and we talked about that com exact situation, the whole, you know, why do people quit? Why do people stop? And it's the whole slippery slope of a little bit of cream, a little bit of creamer, a little bit of a shorter fast, a little longer window, and before you know it, you wake up and you're not fasting. But yeah, we, we see that. So you're not alone. Absolutely not. So I got on the scale one day, I had been tracking my weight, like, like you described in Delay Don't Deny or Fast Feet Peace Repeat, I can't remember which one, but with the daily tracking and, and the average, weekly average. And I had stopped doing that, but I got on the scale sometime in um, February, 2022, and my weight was 256. And I was like, no, 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 we're not going there. So I got back on it and, you know, have done, you know, sometimes I think my biggest struggle is even though I have a short window, you know, choosing the right foods, trying not to overeat during that, that window and the sweets, you know, getting rid of the sweets. And I did want to mention too, I had read, uh, right after I read Delight, Don't Deny and Fast Feast Repeat, which I read really quickly and I was just like, you know, gobbling that up because it just made so much sense to me. And then I read the obesity code, which I think you recommend in your book. And I was gobsmacked, really. I, I don't know, this makes me emotional, but just reading that and understanding, like, it's not me. You know, all my life, like literally all my life, it was something that I was doing wrong, but it wasn't. <laughs> So I just really, really got serious at that point. And then, you know, right now, you know, I'm sitting at about 219, which doesn't sound like, maybe doesn't sound like a success story for 
for a lot of people, but coming from a place of, I think, being addicted to food, certainly being addicted to sugar, using food to medicate literally everything in your life. I've done a lot of emotional work. I've done a lot of work on my mindset. And I'm at the point where I want to do this in a way I don't really mind that it's taking so long because I don't ever want to go back to that other way. You know, I don't want the quick fix. I don't need that quick fix anymore. I want this to be something that I can sustain and something that will give value to the future of me. I like to think of it as, you know, like buying stock in my future. So even though I'm not perfect in any way in terms of my eating or fasting, I keep going, keep going. So I think you're looking at that number 219 and you said, well, I'm not a success story. Yes, you are because you have lost, let's do that math, 80, what is that? 83 pounds, 83 pounds. Look, 83 pounds is huge. And, you know, there's that weight loss registry, whatever it is, where they people who have been able to lose a certain percentage of their starting weight and keep it off is very, very unusual. It is very rare for people to lose a substantial amount of their starting weight percent-wise and keep it off. So to have lost 83 pounds from your starting weight is a giant success. And, you know, I think we we tend to think that the only way we're a success is if we got to a goal and that goal is like, you know, normal weight or whatever it is. But I want you to acknowledge how far you have come, 83 pounds. And you're reversing years of that diet brain and the thoughts, the tangled up emotional thoughts with food and the guilt and the shame, right? Absolutely. And it's also brought about, like in terms of mindset, just recognizing or acknowledging, you know, that my, my body is wonderful. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, somehow I got through all of that abuse for so many years without serious health consequences. And, and I think, you know, thank the Lord for that. But I was certainly on the path to diabetes. You know, all my numbers were creeping up, my blood pressure, my cholesterol, my A1C, all of those things, you know, were looking worse and worse over the years. And so I was certainly on the path to not good things, you know. And But now, you know, my numbers are all great. Last year, you know, my A1C was 52 And my blood pressure was almost back to normal. My cholesterol was almost back to normal. And so very good trending numbers. And um, I did have the fasting insulin test and it was 10. I had wanted to go before I did the podcast just out of curiosity to see now, but I didn't get the chance to do that. So this episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. 
Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I just wanted to say, I wish we knew what your fasting insulin was. Like, for example, even as a child. Like, it would be so interesting if we knew, like people who, like you talked about how you always, you said you started off deep in the forest as a child, right? You started with struggling with your weight. You know, I wonder if, you know, people, if you go all the way back to childhood, you just are somebody that has higher levels of insulin and you always have. And that's why your body was so good at storing because insulin is a storage hormone. And so... It's almost like I wish we had that data for everybody all the time because then you could be like, look, you're a storer. Your body, Teresa, your body is a storage body. And so when you don't feel the shame and the guilt from it and you realize, oh, well, I'm working with a body that's a storage body. No wonder it's been hard for me. Just just acknowledging the physical part of it versus the what what's the word I'm looking for? The the mental fa- the you know the sh- the failing part. Like if you're overweight, it's because you're weak, you're failing, you're you know, glutton or something. When really it's like no, I have a body with the storage problem. And I think you know just to recognize too, I think my genes definitely I feel like are you know on the heavier side. So you know all of my great aunts and uncles and my uncle. My mom is pretty normal size, but certainly there's a lot of heavy people in my family. And I see that like every 10 pounds, I kind of plateau and it's like, no, you're good here. Really? Your body's like, we're good. And I'm like, no, we're not good. So it seems like I struggle getting past that the, to the next mark, you know, to the next 10th or whatever. So I can see that happening I know you mentioned like the set point and it's like, my body is like, no, this is the set point. I was like, no, it's not. So it feels more like a discussion and not a a fight anymore. Well, good. I'm glad you're, you're like, all right, body, this is not the point. This is not where we're stopping. Then it takes a pause and then it can go again. Yeah. That's funny. I do want in the community, next time you get your fasting insulin, I want you to share it with me because I'd be interested to see how that goes down. But, you know, that's powerful information to have. I wish that fasting insulin was just more common than A1C. And I wish what I really want is to have a CIM, continuous insulin monitor. Wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah, I did that for a few months. It was very You got a CGM. I want a CIM with insulin. Oh, yeah, that would be great, wouldn't it? Yes, but you did wear a CGM for a while. Yeah, because those two things, the glucose and the insulin, sometimes get connected, like they're interchangeable, like they're the same thing, but it's really not. And so we don't have any idea, you know, what our insulin is doing from any, on any given moment, really. So definitely going to ask for that test. And the other thing that um, I wanted to do, just 
based off of listening to the podcasts and other podcasts now is have my hormones tested because I've never, ever done that. And so I'm way past menopause at this point and didn't have real like, you know, of course, I had the hot flashes and the night sweats and all those things, but no real significant problems during menopause. But and I don't really now, but I'm really curious to know, you know what my levels are and what how that might be affecting my weight loss or, you know, or lack thereof. So yeah, that would be interesting to have, you know, we, when we, when everything works as it should, it, our, our bodies just, our bodies function better. So I had no idea that the, you know, the female hormones did more than just, you know, regulate our periods because no one taught us that. No, we didn't know. I was like, you know, we hear of testosterone from like, if you want to, you know, people getting injections to build muscle or something we hear about, but and we just hear about the hormones, women hormones based on whether you're having your periods or not. And so I really thought, okay, on the other side of menopause, no more periods. That sounds fun. And no one said, oh, guess what though? You're going to miss those hormones <laughs> because they do other things like help you sleep. <laughs> Well, I don't think that I've slept the night through since I had my first baby. So I don't know. <laughs> but I do sleep, definitely sleep better now than obviously when I had young children. But I still, I still wake up during the night, mostly, you know, to go to the restroom or something. But, and if I'm stressed, that keeps me awake. But, well, I do not wake up to go to the bathroom. I do not wake up. I sleep through the night now. I'm, and that's, thank you, progesterone. It is miraculous. I, I envy you. I envy you. <laughs> well, you get those hormones checked. Find a doctor that'll check those hormones. And it, it like, I went to my dad's last week. He was in the hospital and I went to go see him. And I didn't know how long I was going to stay, but I forgot to take my progesterone and magnesium with me. So I was like, oh no, like the minute, like it was almost time for bed. And I start thinking, I'm like, oh no, I didn't pack that. Cause I threw everything in a bag real fast. I wasn't planning to go, but I went in a hurry. And I woke up, I tossed and turned, and I got up to go to the bathroom. And I never do that. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> anyway, also let us know about that in the community. So tell us about some of your non-scale victories. I guess the greatest one is just the lack of or conquering the fear. Because I'm telling you, you know, being 300 pounds and five, three and a half is no joke. And I literally, everything was hard, like everything. And I literally would think about anywhere I went, like how many steps it was from my car to the door. Were there stairs that I had to climb? Was there an elevator in the building? You know, like I put off doing things. I didn't do things, you know, that I was afraid to do that I couldn't physically do. I just didn't do a lot of you know, my work is active, my work is busy. And by the time I got home, I was spent, I was done. And so that's the biggest NSV is just having energy, feeling good, being able to walk. I started walking early on in the process, I just started walking my dog. And eventually, we walked a long way. And at some point, my teenage son, who was 13 at the time, he wanted to sign up for the gym because they were offering like teenagers free summer plans or whatever. And so I said, oh, okay, I might as well do it because I'm going to be taking him anyway. I'm telling you, I was never a gym person. Like I wouldn't have stepped foot in the gym 
you know, ever because I just felt that shame of myself. Right. So, but I went with him, I started. And at that time I had lost some weight already and I was feeling pretty good. And I looked at the Stairmaster and I was like, okay, I accept the challenge. Because stairs were really like something that I was afraid of. I was afraid that I didn't do it. And I was afraid, you know, of um, feeling that just overwhelming, like out of breathness, you know, am I going to have a heart attack here? You know, what's going on? So I got on the Stairmaster and the first time I couldn't make two minutes on the slowest speed. Honestly, I'm surprised that I got back on it. Because look, I remember being on the Stairmaster back in the day. I mean, back when I joined a gym, probably in the early 90s, and I didn't like the Stairmaster even then. And I was, you know, I was, (laughs) but you got back on it. I did. I got back on it. And now I go to the gym three or four times a week and I can do a thousand stairs in 20 minutes. And then at work, uh, we have a huge staircase. We have two levels. So I would always, always take the elevator. And now I take the stairs up, stairs down most of the time. I don't ever want to go back to that person who was afraid to go up a flight of stairs. It was just the most, I don't know, self-defeating. Well, look, if you want to know, I want you to pick up 83 pounds of something and try to carry it up the stairs. You're not going to be able to do it. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. A massive uh, win, you know, like being able to put my shoes on, you know, without it being like an Olympic event, you know. So, and that's sort of tongue in cheek, but like really, you know, if you're out of breath putting on your shoes, there's, <laughs> there's something wrong, right? So what is your favorite fasting protocol now? I love my favorite, or I guess my go-to window is 10 to 2. But actually, I'm still fasted today. So uh, I was like taking, because I know you always say you don't, you fast until after, you know, you're done. I do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going to honor Jen today and not. So, but most of the time, the 10 to 2 works well for me because I go to bed really early because I get up really early. And so I can make that afternoon and, you know, maybe I'm hungry when I go to bed, but, you know, it's fine. So But I do wish, you know, I don't like having my whole window while I'm at work. I have tried several times to push it, you know, to the evening or the afternoon. But 10 to 2 is my most successful. So you probably don't get home till kind of late either because running a preschool is, how how late are you there? Well, I'm working on setting some boundaries. (laughs) This year, um, most of the time, I leave at least by 4 before last year, you know, I would be here six to six pretty much. But I decided during the pandemic, which I guess was a silver lining of the pandemic, that like it was such a revelation to be at home, like with my whole family there and nothing to do really. And I was like, I can't go back to that, you know. So I've been working on it. So I'm getting there, having a more reasonable schedule. So yeah, when you own the business, also, you feel like you're never really off, right? No matter how, you know, what kind of wonderful, you know, people work with you, if 
you know, what hits the fan. It's you. (laughs) Exactly. Well, we are almost out of time. What would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting or what do you wish you knew when you first started? Well, gosh, I can't believe we're already out of time. But I have thought about that question a lot because I've listened to, you know, 330 something podcasts at this point. I think the thing that I would like to tell people is that, you know, intermittent fasting is not an exercise in perfection. Here so often, you know, people like, oh, you know, I licked the spoon of this or, you know, I didn't do well today or I ate something awful today or whatever the case is. You know, and it's a lifestyle. It's an everyday practice. And some days you're going to do great and some days you're not. And that's just life. And that's what it has to be to be sustainable is your life. And so it doesn't have to be perfect, you know, and your body, whatever shape, size or, you know, otherwise it is right now, it's perfect. And it's going to continue being perfect as you lose weight or as you get healthier or, you know, whatever the case is for you. But you really just have to embrace the process, embrace the lifestyle and keep going. I love that. And you are a success story, 83 pounds down. And I'm so happy for you. And thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you. I'm looking at maybe a couple of years. I might come back and be like, you know, super slim, but I would love it. You're, you're invited. Love that. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure, Jen. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast. Behind every successful business is a story, and some of them might surprise you. Like how Chobani's first yogurt factory was discovered on a piece of junk mail, or how the founder of the multi-million dollar cosmetics brand Drunk Elephant was told by everyone, including her own mother, that the name sounded like a dive bar. I'm Guy Raz, and on my show How I Built This, I talk to founders behind the world's biggest companies and brands to learn the real stories of how they built them. In each episode, you'll hear entrepreneurs share moments of doubt and failure and talk about how they were able to overcome them on their way to the top. How I Built This is like a masterclass in innovation and creativity, a how-to guide for navigating life's challenges from the people who've done it all. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.